from the band The Dell Vipers from their album Terror of the Dell Vipers opens up this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I am your host, writer-producer Derek M. Cook, and this is episode 202 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. The song might be called The Angry Man, but I'm not angry at all. I'm actually excited to have you back here to talk about the movie The Mad Magician with Larry Underwood, a.k.a. Dr. Gangrene. Larry is a huge Vincent Price fan, as evidenced by his series of fantastic films of Vincent Price. Go look it up on YouTube or check out his site at drgangrene.com and you'll find a link to it. It's an excellent series. He's going through every single movie appearance of Vincent Price in chronological order. He's in the 50s, and The Mad Magician was a movie from 1954, so we thought we'd talk about it here on Monster Kid Radio. I'm excited. We talked a little bit about the cast and crew in episode 201 a couple of days ago, so if you want to get caught up, go check that out. Then come back here, because Larry and I are going to break down the plot. We're going to dive right in to the story itself. And we're going to get to that right after this. Invited to an open house where horror will be your host. The Haunted Palace. You who find a kind of macabre joyousness in the horrifying will enjoy yourselves as in ecstasy in The Haunted Palace. Starring Vincent Price, a being who lived and died and lives again. I'll not have my fill of revenge until this village is a graveyard. And intriguing Deborah Paget, whose appealing beauty inflames the blood of the bloodless. Charles, please. I... Well, I've been very busy, but I'm back now. Charles. No, 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 the whole no. night before. No. His violent, no. torturous passions inflict no. both pain and terror. Lon Chaney, carrying on a family tradition of masterful motion picture horror, while the strange and feared new master of the haunted palace reaches for the skeleton of one long dead. You see? He's taking her mind, her soul, just like the others. Really, this is outrageous. After all these years, I'm entitled to a few small amusements. Hi, this is Ruby. And I'm Hater. And we host the Mimiverse Bonfire Podcast. A podcast based on Christopher R. Mim, a Minnesota filmmaker who's got eight films under his belt, soon to be nine. And they're all 1950s-style black and white movies. The podcast revolves around actors, the making of the films, and various other little fun bits. And technicians. <laughs> you can find us at SaintEuphoria.com. Or like us on Facebook. That would be the Mimiverse Bonfire Podcast. Hope you tune in. 
Mrs. Vincent Price, I mean Dr. Goldfoot, with plans to possess most of the money in the world. Frankie Avalon knows it. Dwayne Hickman finds out about it. Susan Hart is an innocent, innocent tool of the plan. Hello, darling. Jack Mullaney helped make the plan. <laughs> and special guest star Fred Clark just doesn't believe it. You're nuts! All right, follow me. These lush bikini babes are built, uh, I mean made, uh, produced to perform. And they have the knack of doing what they're built to do. She walks. She talks. Come here, tiger. She makes love. Did you miss me, precious? Sex has never been funnier. She isn't human. But she is gorgeous. Mr. Armstrong, you're married to a robot. <laughs> Dr. Goldfoot is a dangerous man, but he does have his lighter moments. All right. Sarai. first see him he is preparing to do his first stage show as a magician and when we first see him he's wearing he looks very much like jared he's wearing a, a lab coat that looks almost a smock that looks yes. almost like the one from house of wax if this was in color it looks like it might even be tan it could even be the same jacket for all i know and i'm sure that was by design i'm sure it was he's sha clean shaven in this whereas he had the beard and mustache and house of wax but he's clean shaven in this one and he's preparing to do his first stage show. By his day job, he builds props for other magicians. But he's decided, it's time. I'm going to go out on my own. I, I'm fully capable of doing this. I'm, I'm going to hit the stage and find fame and success for myself. Right. But his show is interrupted, and the curtain drops right before he unveils his newest and greatest creation, the Lady and the Buzzsaw, which is this contraption where you lay a woman, you strap her down on a table, and you bring a buzzsaw down to cut her head off. And they demonstrate, of course, the effectiveness of the buzzsaw and the fact that it's a real one with a big piece of wood, and they cut it in half, and you know, of course, the audience is ooing and eyeing. They <laughs> just get the woman strapped down, his assistant, Karen, when the curtain drops. And Galico looks over, and there's his boss, Orman, who's a real bastard, who <laughs> has gotten a, a court order to, to stop the show because in the contract that he signed, Galico 
is informed that everything he builds is actually property of Ormond, and um, Ormond wants his property back and shuts the show down. So this scene, and we'll talk about the rest of the movie, but this scene, this setup with Price on stage, getting things ready for his performance, for his big show, he's nervous. He's not as confident as Jared is in his abilities. And from the get-go, he may look like Jared with the coat and all that. He's created such a different, distinct character for me. Yeah. In the way he seems so. nervous and he's not sure and he's leaning on his assistant for help. And mm-hmm. it, it really is a fascinating characterization. I do like the idea of, well, Lady in the Bus Sign. That sounds like a cool trick. I want to see it. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I guess I like this whole setup. Yeah. And it really kind of puts everything in place for us. So It does. And we also see before the Lady in the Bus Shaw, we see him do a few other tricks. And we learn that he is also a master makeup artist. Yes. And that as part of his show, he disguises himself and does impersonations of other magicians doing tricks. So he disguises himself as the great Rinaldi, who is another basically rival magician, another mm-hmm. well-known magician. And that's where he comes out and he does the tricks with the water and he sprays the water directly at the camera and, and all of that. So we get a good probably four or five minutes of magic scenes here, of him on stage performing. Yeah. And it was Price in the makeup here. This They didn't swap out for the guy who played the real great Ronaldo here, right? Right. Okay. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, and you can kind of tell in the body movement and the body language that it is Price, especially when he's not performing. There are a few moments where you can definitely tell it is Price because we're used to seeing Price move. We know what he looks like, but when he's trying to hide that, it's so effective. Mm -hmm. And this magic scene at the beginning, he's not speaking too much. When he does speak in a different character, they do dub the voice, don't they? They do. Yeah, Yeah. so at least you have that to kind of – I don't know, sell the illusion a little bit more, but no, it's really solid work uh, at the very beginning. And when they bring in the guy talking about Ross Ormond, uh, he's not a very pleasant man, but that's, you know, I suppose that's what's going to put everything into motion here for us is the reason the mad magician is mad is because he's working for some unreasonable people. And we're going to learn later that it's not just him controlling his professional life. Ross Ormond has a few other things over Don Gallico as well. Oh yeah. Both of them are tortured artists who are, pretty much screwed over by their partners, you know, mm-hmm. and in House of Wax, you've got Jared who his partner knocks him unconscious and burns the studio to the ground. And this one, his boss, basically partner substitute, his boss mm-hmm. um, shuts down his magic show on the opening night and he informs him that he's known for weeks that the show was going to happen, but he waited to do it while he was on stage to teach him a lesson because he wanted to prove to him that he doesn't have the talent and has no right to try to do something like this on his own. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, we learned that not only that, but he stole Gallico's wife. Yeah. <laughs> Used his money and influence to steal Gallico's, who was a real money grabber, you know, type of woman. <laughs> I mean, she's a, she's a dirt digger for sure. Gold digger for sure. But he rec- recognized that. And he tells him the only reason I even gave you a, a second look was because of your wife. So he planned this all along. It's pretty cruel. And uh, he deserves what he gets, I think. <laughs> he does. Well, that, that's where we get back. We cut back to the studio, and that's where Rinaldi visits momentarily and to see, get a firsthand look at, at the lady in the bus saw. And, and he says, you know, I'll, I'll expect this back in my studio. And 
not only that, but we learned that Gallico had booked an appearance at another theater in a, in a week or two, and that appearance was canceled, and the uh, the <laughs> the show that the very show was given to the Rinaldi, who is right. going to use Jared, um, going to use Gallico's trick. I see you just called him Jared. <laughs> I did <laughs> on stage. So I mean, this is they're just screwing this guy over at every opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, and so and, and there's nothing he can do about it. He signed a contract. Yeah, I mean, he know, is under the, contract. He's stuck. He even shows the contract to a, a detective who is his assistant. He has an assistant named Karen, who I mentioned earlier. She's dating right. a lieutenant uh, Frank something or another. Uh, lieutenant Alan Bruce, played by Patrick O'Neill. Okay, yep. so she's dating this detective, and he shows the contract to him. Says, so "What do you think?" And he's like, "Yeah, no, it's ironclad, man. You you signed it. This is the way it is. Sorry." So. After Rinaldi leaves, Orman makes the mistake of really taunting Gallico, and he really rubs his nose in it. And he's like, "The only reason why I gave you a second look was because I want, you know, because of your wife." And basically, and starts insulting him, insults her, and Gallico just snaps. and And that's when he 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 grabs him, he drags him <laughs> over to the bus saw, and he he turns it on and says, "Laugh now, laugh now," <laughs> and cuts his head off, which is a great scene. It's Pretty intense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the laugh now, who's, yeah, man, that, that's Price going maniacal, and I love it. I love Price yeah. going nuts like that. And, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if Ormond really made the best decision. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess at this point, Gallico was pretty meek and, yeah, okay, whatever you say. You know, I don't think he expected him to turn, but still. You got yeah. this buzzsaw here, and you're alone with the guy. Well, that's the moment when he snaps. And from yeah. there on, it's just a, a series of bad decisions and <laughs> choice after choice that digs him deeper into this web of lies, really. I mean, one thing leads to another, to another, to another. He takes Orman's severed head and puts it in a leather bag. And as he's covering up the body with a sheet, there's a knock on the door, and it's his assistant, Karen, who's coming to visit him and she is also carrying a similar bag after she leaves she takes the wrong one and this scene i've thought about this scene it, it's really not a necessary scene to the plot i mean if you took it out it wouldn't matter one bit but it is a fun little scene because you've got a head in a bag that's <laughs> that's being carried off and gallico of course freaks once he realizes she took the wrong bag so you've got this fun little chase through the city where he tries to retrieve his bag, and you learn that she's accidentally left it on a cab. Um, this is set in the 1800s, so the cabs are horse-drawn. <laughs> so she says, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I, must, I don't have it. I must have left it on the cab. So he has to track the cab driver down who says, did he give it to a policeman? Is that what he said? I gave it to yeah. a policeman. Yeah. <laughs> so of course, Gallico's just like, at this point, totally freaked out. But he manages to get it back, and all's well. It is a fun scene. Like you said, it's not really super relevant to the plot, but it's a fun set piece and it's a fun sequence because there is that kind of, I don't want to say cat and mouse, but that's not quite exactly what it is. It's this fun kind of caper heist kind of sequence. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. And, and he's, it, he, oh, he's just fun over the top and just. It yeah. is. And it was funny about it is they don't really come right out and tell you the head's in the bag, but you know the head is in the bag. Yeah. You see him sort of start to pick up something and put it in the bag, and you realize what it is. And then by his reactions, you know, bag with a severed head in it, which is gruesome to think about. Yeah. 
And then his assistant was just walking around with <laughs> Yeah. The assistant, I really appreciated the relationship between Gallico and his assistant, Karen. Karen's played by Mary Murphy. Mm-hmm. In House of Wax, you had that, you know, I'm in love with the Antoinette figure. And, and you know, there's this weird level of love with the artwork. There was none of that with Gallico and his assistant here. And I really appreciated that. I actually thought that was a sweet relationship. Well, there is, but I do think it got turned a little bit creepy, though, when she comes back after this whole severed head incident. She's visiting him to make sure he's okay and just to sort of apologize for taking his bag. There's a moment there where he's talking to her. She says, well, why were you so freaked out over the losing the bag? We, Alan and I were wondering what was going on. And he said, well, would you really like to know what was in the bag? And she says, yes. He said, it was a human head. And she looks at him like, what? And... He says, it's the head that I used in the trick. It's the head I made for the lady in the buzzsaw trick. There's no way I was going to let Rinaldi have it. And then he sort of reaches over and he sort of touches her on the chin and says, there's no way I would let him have your beautiful head or something along those lines. And she just kind of looks at him like, okay, I'm going to go now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm out. <laughs> yeah. It's a little, it's like, uh, just kind of turned a little... I you know there for a moment it, it does but I I don't know I feel like if this was House of Wax he'd be trying to bump off the lieutenant so he could have Karen for himself and I don't feel like he does that here no but there it is kind of a creepy moment when he does say because he goes into detail you know it's the the buzz saw that would cut into the severed flesh of your head <laughs> yeah remember when the eyes rolled back the mouth opened in pain as the teeth of the buzzsaw ripped into the flesh of your head. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I did like Murphy in this quite a bit. I thought she was sweet. Yeah. Yeah, you know? she did a good job. Yeah. But yeah, uh, that that was a wonderful, that was one of my favorite scenes of this whole movie, the, the chasing down the bag of head. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. But she, when she comes back to visit him, she informs him that there's a big bonfire going on in town because one of the rival, there's a football team that just beat their their big rival, and as a celebration, they're holding a bonfire. And when I say a bonfire, they have built a stack of fuel that's probably twenty feet high at least. Yeah. And so Gallico gets the idea that this is the perfect way to dispose of Ormond. So he dresses it as one of the football players for the rival team, makes it look like a dummy. Yep. And disguises himself again as Ormond. So he's not seen doing this, but he takes the body and climbs the ladder and throws it on the very top of the pile. I was a little surprised that nobody thought it was odd that this guy just showed up, (laughs) just climbs up the top of the ladder and drops his dummy on there and walks down. Yeah. Nobody stopped him. Nobody questioned. I mean, he he didn't look like a college student or you know, or anything like that. He he looked like Ormond, who's this older guy yeah. with glasses, you know. And, yeah. yeah. But that was pretty creepy. That was inventive, I thought. You know, there's a good way to get rid of a body, but pretty creepy, too. I mean, the way he sure. just – it's very cold and calculating. And mm-hmm. just another effective scene. Yeah. Of course, he sees Karen sees him there, though. She does. And she yeah. comes over to speak, and he, he just, hello, and then walks off. I mean, he won't. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm get out of here before she recognizes me. Yep. That's another scene that would have looked good in in color with the bonfire at night. I think it would oh, have been yeah. pretty brilliant. Yo, yeah, I bet it would look good in 3D period anyway. Yeah. But yeah, in color that would have been great. Yeah. So, while he's disguised as Ormond, 
he goes to a boarding house, this family, the Prentices, who are renting a room. And he rents a room under a pseudonym. And I'm not quite sure what he was thinking here. He just wanted a basis for operation. If he wanted an alibi, I'm not really sure what the point of it was. But he does rent a room, and we learn that the woman, I believe it's Alice Prentice, is a mystery writer. Right. She's quick to brag about the fact that she's a writer to him, and uh, her husband is proud of her, too, and sort of talking about her latest novel and whatnot. But anyway, he rents this room, and then we cut back to his studio the next day, and suddenly his ex-wife shows up, who is married to Ormond, and she is played by Ava Gabor. Yeah. Uh, who most people will remember from Green Acres, of course. And you just got the theme song stuck in my head. Thank you. <laughs> it's a place to be, man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so she shows up and true to her gold digger nature, you know, she's she is just not a very likable person. I mean, she shows up and super flirty towards him, even though she's totally screwed him over and cheated on him and left him and married Ormond for his money. She's been gone on a trip and has returned, and she can't find him. She thinks he's in hiding. She thinks he's hiding from her. Uh, <laughs> because she knows Ormond doesn't really care for her either. He knows what she's all about. Yeah. You know? She asks Gallico if he knows where she's at, and Gallico says no. At this point, we're starting to see Gallico slip into a darker place more and more and more. He's losing it, and she feels it. She's like, what happened to you? What's what's going on? He's, you know, and he's cold uh, for the first time. He's not the spineless worm that he used to be. I mean, this guy's now, he's standing up to her. He's acting confident. He's acting, he's acting almost cold towards her. And at one point, he even, she she grabs him and, and starts, I can't remember exactly what she's saying to him, but he turns around and slaps her at one point. Yeah. She, that's when she, she just sort of leaves and she's kind of like, wow, what? This isn't the same guy I left. You know, when that happens, she's not long for this world at this point, right? Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's, she's on the list. Yeah, definitely. But she leaves, and um, we'll cut back to the, our nosy uh, mystery writer who she spotted a picture of Orman and his wife in the paper and recognized that as the person that had rented a room from her. So she contacts Mrs. Ormond and says, I think your husband rented a room here under a pseudonym, but I think it's him. And I just thought the two of you deserve to get back together. And I realize that you're distraught over your husband missing. I think he's here. I mean, she's important to the story towards the end, but I feel like the Alice Prentice character was very kind of too nosy for her own. I mean, why, why did she even get yeah. involved in that? You know? Yeah, exactly. But she did. At a different time, I guess. Yeah. So Claire waits for him. Uh, his wife waits for him there. And then that night, he, sure enough, he shows up in disguise again. Not sure why, what exactly the point of that is as far as the story goes. But anyway, she confronts him. She waits for him in his room. When he comes in, he lights the, the gas lamp, turns around. There she is. And we get another scene that's very much like House of Wax here, where once he turns around, she sees him, and even though he's got the makeup on, the Ormond makeup, she recognizes Gallico, and she kind of takes a step back and says, I'm probably the only person in the world who would recognize you in that makeup because I've known and lived with both men. But she's not that upset because she realizes, wait a minute, she says, you killed him, didn't you? And he says, yes. And she's actually happy because now she realizes 
I'm rich. <laughs> All of his money is mine. So she's, I mean, like I said, she's a real gold digger. She's happy. She's like, oh, this is great. We can get back together. You know, the two of us. Why don't we, rec- you know, when we get back together, we can go off on a trip together. At which point, <laughs> it's not exactly Ormus just what had it with her. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Gallico's had it with her. I mean, he is just sick of it. He's mad. He, you know, he hates her anyway for what she is and what she's done. And then when she says that, he just snaps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he chokes her. He chokes her to death. Which was a little less gruesome than I, I expected it to be. Now, granted, yeah. we hadn't been introduced to the crematorium yet, but for somebody who uh, <laughs> used the buzzsaw to cut off the head of somebody, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, uh, maybe that's what she deserved. E- either way. It, <laughs> well, he was improvising. You know. Although this it, is true. He hadn't planned true. this. This one was not planned. There we go. Although none of them were, really. He snapped all three times when he killed. Uh, there were all three crimes of passion, really. I mean, the first time was his boss who pushed him into it. And now this time she's really kind of a despicable character too. So, and she really treated him poorly. The apprentices hear her scream. They, they come in, he's run, he's grabbed the mask that she yanked off and picked it up and gotten out of the room. At this point, the detectives and police come to investigate. And we, we learn that there's a new investigative technique that they're just starting to use called fingerprinting. I thought that was interesting. It It was a cool little element. So they start looking for fingerprints, and they find that the fingerprints in that that room match some of the fingerprints at at back at the Orman place. So they realize the same person was in both places. It's the same. It's the same man. So they start going on a manhunt for Ormond, who they think is in hiding. I particularly liked that it is such a new technique that not all the police are on board with it. Yeah. You know, and I did enjoy that aspect of it. You know, Lieutenant Bruce is trying to, to use his technique, but his superior is like, ah, well, you know, it just proves that it's not a really good way of IDing people. I really liked that. That was neat. That was, that was a, a fun nice little, little historical touch. Yeah, for sure. So the police round up all the, not really suspects, but everybody who knew Ormond. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got Gallico and his assistant and the lieutenant, and we've got the apprentices there and Rinaldi. And he's questioning all of them, trying to figure out, hey, you, have you guys seen him? Do you know where he's at? At this point, Rinaldi, he, he's not so sure. I mean, he's starting to kind of suspect, you know, he's Alice Prentice says, you know, this guy was in my in my house. And he says, are you sure it was him? I mean, are you sure you saw the right person? So he's questioning. Alice kind of collects characters. She likes quirky characters, which is part of the reason she enjoyed renting the room to Orman in the first place. She thinks Gallico is a quirky character, too. So she, she kind of comes up to him and says, hey, listen, I'm, I'm intrigued by your magic act. If you ever want to put something on display or have something you want to show me, I'd love to know more. So he says, well, if I get a new trick, I'll, I'll let you know. At which case he does. He, he, yeah. he actually builds a new device and calls her up. He's anxious to show it off and wants to test it out. We learned at the very beginning of the movie that the lady in the buzzsaw was so top secret and the secret protected so much that they made everyone leave the room except the performers that are involved in the, in the act. So he, he's very highly protective of his tricks. He doesn't want any rival magicians stealing them. Sure. So he invites Alice and her husband over. Um, oh, his assistant. Is that it? It's just the three of them? Yeah, because the assistant's the one kind of controlling the whole device. And he's got this new device called the crematorium, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a device where they, they strap someone on a table, put it inside, and 
light it up. And then we have flames that jump 10 feet in the air that are coming out. impressive. In color, that would have been amazing. In 3D, I'm sure it looked awesome. Yeah. And and like you said, it's exactly what it sounds like. At one point, Prentice asks Galico, where'd you get the idea for the crematorium? Well, the crematorium. (laughs) That's exactly (laughs) what it is. (laughs) But before he shows it, uh, Rinaldi, we see him, he sneaks in. Yeah, he snuck into the room. So he, he's seen it, and he recognizes that Gallico's still under contract, whether Orman's around or not. And he, as a business partner of Orman's, by extension, is the rightful owner of the crematorium. And he tells Gallico, listen, I know what you really did. I know you killed him. You can hide it from the police, but I figured it out. So either go ahead and give me the, the trick now, or I'm going to the police. And in which case... Our boy snaps once more. (laughs) We just see him walk towards. You don't really see it so much. It's it's implied. You know what happened. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it it was a little bit more restrained than I thought it would be for this. Yeah, they just cut to black. But, you know, he's put the guy in the crematorium and burned his body up. Disintegrated him, he says. (laughs) I I, I don't know if that's quite how that works, but okay. (laughs) Okay. But that's not the last we see of Rinaldi because, well, Gallagher's got a mask. That's right. That's right. He does. And he is just decides to start performing as Rinaldi. He wants to go on stage. That's, I guess, what he wanted to do all along. So at this point, the detective and the mystery writer are working together. And they start piecing together everything. The mystery writer figures it out. And she goes to the detective and gives him her theory. So they start setting out to prove it and use the fingerprinting, trying to get fingerprints of Gallico to compare with with all the other fingerprints he's gathered and see if they can't close his case out. We kind of end in a, a finale scene that once again reminds me of House of Wax back at the laboratory where there is more or less basically a, a reenactment of the death trap from House of Wax. Where yeah. The detective winds up strapped on the table and yeah. starting towards the, the fire. They're in this big fight thing, and Karen has to get involved to try to save him. The mystery writer is there. Alice is there. It's really an awkward finale in that mm-hmm. it ends on a weird note for me. Like At some point, Gallico himself ends up on the table and gets pushed into the crematorium. Yeah. But I don't know. I it just it, it felt like the construction was a little off for me. I yeah, know what happened. I can fill in the blanks, but Yeah, cuz at one point the the lieutenant's on the table, but then he he escapes and he and Gallico get into a fist fight. You see him punch Gallico. And then they do an abrupt cut to Gallico's body laying perfectly still, <laughs> positioned on the tray and sliding into the fire. So in, in like, the wrong uh, position, even because when yeah. he punched him, he was like head first going in. But when we cut, he's now feet first. I, it's a little weird. Yeah, it's a little odd. But I mean, it's still an, a good way to end, I suppose. I don't know how the <laughs> how the uh, the lieutenant's going to explain this to his superiors. Yeah. Well, well, he's, uh, got, well yeah. he's got two witnesses there. So. Two witnesses who were screaming hysterically out the window for police. <laughs> Absolutely. Because, again, there's no, you know, it's what, the 1800s or whatever. I, I don't think they ever really said exactly what year it was. No. But it's, you know, a handsome cab is an 
not everybody's got a telephone and that sort of thing. Yeah. Just like with House of Wax, back at the police, this scene is straight up. Yes. Same scene from House of Wax. In House of Wax, it ends at the police station, and they have the wax heads of the assistant, which, of course, is is uh, Charles Bronson. And uh, let's see. What was it? It was – hang on. Actually, I wrote this down. Hang on. Okay. So in House of Wax, you end at the final scene where you have the wax heads of the assistant, Charles, which is Igor, uh, Charles Bronson, and Sue, his, um, who is Phyllis Kirk, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you have the wax heads of the two of them at the station, and the police are sort of giving you your, your final wrap-up. Same thing happens in this. The police, they're just discussing how Gallico pulled everything off. And in this one, you've got heads with the makeups, the masks over them uh, of Ormond and Rinaldi, the two disguises that um, the Gallico wore. So it, it sort of wraps up very much the same way back at the police station with the heads on the table. Right. It's um, very similar. And, and yeah, I, it, it does end exactly on that note. So this really, again, we talked about this at the beginning. It feels like it could be a spiritual sequel to House of Wax. It really feels like it's a remake to House of Wax. I think House of Wax is better. But if this movie was in color, I think it would have stood up a lot better, too. I mean, it would have had some more legs. I, I don't know. How did this one do? Did we talk about that? Did it just kind of come and go? Yeah, I don't think it did too well. I mean, I think audiences saw it for what it was. But it's definitely a lesser film, for sure. And it's not even one of Price's best films. I wouldn't put it in a top ten list or anything. But it's very interesting. I find it interesting for the fact that it is a, a sort of reshuffling of the previous film. And I think that um, it's definitely one that Price fans want to see because of the the death scenes and Price's performance. It's fun. I mean, and, and, and the fun factor in it. I wouldn't say it's one of Price's best films either, but I do think it's an interesting performance. I do like the range, the kind of the nervous, not really sure of himself at the very beginning to where he snaps and starts killing people. And he's so good at getting away with it for so long. The way he completely disposes of these bodies. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of a precursor, really, to films like Theater of Blood and the Fibes movies. I was going to ask because, if I thought maybe the Fibes had a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the tortured artist who's getting revenge against the people that have done him wrong. He's basically a serial killer. I mean, he's basically often the people. That's the same plot as Fibes. Exactly. I mean, it's instead of an artist, he's a, a, a surgeon and his wife gets killed and he's taking revenge on the doctors that operated on her and didn't save her life. The people that he considers that did him wrong. Uh, Theater of Blood, same thing. He's the the tortured artist who doesn't win the awards that, and get the accolades that he thinks he should. So he takes revenge on the critics who have panned his performances, uh, the people that he sees as doing him wrong. It's the same thing. It's, it's a tried and true plot it's something i think price i mean he was a huge fan of art and the stage he wasn't just a, a movie actor he is a very well-rounded person with a lot of interest in a lot of different arts and you've talked about this on your fantastic film series so i think anytime price has an opportunity to play a character who gets on stage who gets to perform as a performer i think it's 
interesting and you get to see him have a little fun. I think he had fun with this. I do too. Yeah, he's an artist, more yeah. more or less. And, yeah. and anytime he can play an artist, he's on board. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, or even like in Theater of Blood. I mean, he's playing an actor, you know, it's or, or Madhouse even. I mean, you get to see some of that. He has a kind of a sparkle to him, a, a twinkle yep. in his eye that I really appreciate. That's not that kind of ironic kind of sometimes played for parody. Yeah, no, he hasn't slipped yeah. into the camp stuff exactly. so much at this point. He's done a few camp performances at, up to up to this point, but really, I mean, that's kind of you know seventies with the you know the stuff like the Goldfoot films and things like that, were <laughs> which I love. Kind of, for some, oh yeah, I, it's I, great I don't stuff. know why, but I love them. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean this as a negative thing, but to to me, in my mind, there's sort of two types of price performances: sure. there's a straight performance, and then there's sort of his camp stuff where he, he's kind of like tongue in cheek, you know, is it a nod and a wink towards the camera, and the audience is in on the joke with him. The fact right. that. Hey, I'm I'm doing this. I'm very well aware of what I'm doing, and you guys are all on board with me. Let's go. Yep, I'm Vincent Price. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm Vincent Price. Damn it. Let's go. <laughs> I don't know why, but the the final scene of the the beach party movie that he did, where he has the cameo at the very end of that, just popped okay. into my head. <laughs> which one was that? I forget which one it was. But beach party was it? Just the first the one? Was it the first one? I guess. I'm not sure. You're not up on your beach party films, man? Man, dude, I haven't got that far yet. I've watched the movie, though. I have watched that movie. It must, yeah, it would have just been yeah, beach party. It is yeah, the first one. They yeah. all kind of blend. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just beach party is the title, but I'm yeah. not sure if there's – I guess there's more of those. It's beach oh, yeah. Party it's two, like, beach <laughs> party the revenge. <laughs> beach party know. two, electric boogaloo. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I, I like that campy. I like the camp Vincent Price. I dig him. He's fun to watch. He's fun to hang out with. But in sure. this one, there's it's more restrained, and you still have a good time with it. I really enjoyed this movie. I'm glad I got a chance to watch it. And you mentioned at the top of this, it's on DVD. People can get their hands on it pretty easily, right? Yeah. Yeah, I bought a copy through Amazon. So It's a bare-bones edition. but you know. mm-hmm. It's pretty much the only edition that I could find. It may have been out released on VHS prior. I'm not sure. Yeah, so this one is part of the, uh, the Sony print-on-demand or, or manufactured-on-demand set. So, again, very bare bones, but it is out there so people can get their hands on it. And it looks good. I mean, the print's pretty good or the transfer's pretty good. Yeah, definitely. I would love to see it in 3D. I really would love to see it in 3D. Yeah, me too. That would be good. And I'd, I'd settle for a little VHS copy on TV, you know. Just give me a – you know, I'll watch it that way. I don't care. I'll, I'll wear the anaglyph glasses. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Got plenty of them around here. <laughs> can lay my hands on some pretty quick too. I think that's something most monster – movie be movie fans all those of us that enjoy yeah. these kind of movies have have on hand somewhere just in case you know you got to be prepared yeah. it's like the boy scout yeah. say right that's right <laughs> <laughs> so after this movie he does the next film that appears in theaters is one called son of sinbad that he made a couple years prior to this that was kind of shelved not a great film why is that why, why was it, it is in color uh, well, it had sensor problems. Basically, it's an RKO picture that Howard Hughes made. That reportedly, he had basically romanced many, many women over his time. Like He would have his assistants go out, find a woman he liked, put her up in a hotel. You know, are, are you talking about Price or, or Hughes? No, no, it's Hughes. Okay, I was going to say, that doesn't sound No, no, no. <laughs> he was a big womanizer, and he had promised all these different women that Oh, yeah, I'll put you in pictures. This is this is the rumor here. They promised them all, hey, I'm going to put you in pictures, whatever. So he had all these women that were beauty queens and, and starlets and people that were 
offered had been at some point told they would be put in movies. So they just basically wrote this script where the script where they have a harem of girls. <laughs> so they just get them all on scene on screen at once. Yeah. That's amazing. Got, it's 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 crazy. You've got this uh ridiculous plot where of course every, it, it takes place in Baghdad and of course everybody's white in the entire movie. Um and you've got <laughs> this crazy Sin, Sinbad and Price is his campy sidekick and Sinbad is this big womanizer sneaking into the court to try to romance the women there and then they wind up having to work with the 40 thieves in order to capture the secret of Greek fire which is it's, it's it's ridiculous plot, which is this explosive that's mixed up, and the forty thieves are actually not Alibaba's forty thieves anymore. They've all been killed off, but it's actually the daughters of the forty thieves. So you have forty more women, all like <laughs> desert bound white women, of course, uh, that team up with them to help fight off the invading forces. And <laughs> yeah, this sounds amazing. <laughs> it's something, yeah. <laughs> But in a couple of years, he makes a movie called While the City Sleeps, which is actually a movie with a serial killer, oh. which is kind of interesting. So Price in a movie with a serial killer. So he's got a lesser part. If I remember right, he's the head of a newspaper that is investigating the, the killings. But there's a serial killer that's offing women in New York City and this detective's on the case. It's Dana Andrews. Oh, okay. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool little movie. You know, I'm looking at Price's filmography right now, and I'm a little surprised. I guess I would have thought as soon as House of Wax hit, it'd be nothing but horror movies after that. But there is a lot of non-horror still happening around this time for him. Yeah, he makes several horror movies in the 50s. I mean, he you, you've got these two, which were pretty much back-to-back. But then it's, I think The Fly in 58 is this next one. And yeah. then after that, I mean, it's on at that point. Because you got The Fly, Return of the Fly, House on Haunted Hill, The Tingler, The Bat, all the... Oh, I love The Bat. So, I mean, at that point, that's where it kind of really picks up. And it's it's not everything he does isn't horror, but right majority of it is. Because, I mean, he's just so good at it. And studios are like, let's go. They've caught on. They know what works. They figured it out. And, well, he enjoyed it, too. So, yeah, you know, he loved the genre as well. So, yep. Good stuff. So, where are we on the Fantastic Film Series right now? Where are you? Did you just do The Mad Magician? I just did The Mad Magician and um, working on Son of Sinbad now. And next up after that is a musical called Serenade. And so that's where I'm at, right around 55. Still got plenty to go through, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll be at this for the next year or two. So a couple <laughs> years worth of this. But it's cool. It's, it's, it's fun. Keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm eager for you to get to the Goldfoot movies. <laughs> yeah. I love those movies so much. I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't at all, but I love them. I need a bikini machine, man. Oh, we all need a bikini machine, man. <laughs> Dr. Gangrene and the bikini machine. <laughs> I'll start writing the script. How about that? <laughs> all right, sign me up, man. <laughs> so does the Fantastic Films have its own separate website, or is it all through drgangrene.com? I actually have a blog where I'm, I'm keeping posting all of them. So you, I mean, you can see the things on YouTube, but they're all collected. It's called vincentpricefilms.blogspot.com. So they can find all of them there also. It's just sort of an easier way to collect them all. Sometimes YouTube kind of be tricky to navigate, you know? This is true. So, yeah, we'll make sure there's a link to that in the show notes. If there's not a link to this in the website already, there really should be. So I'll make sure that's on there. But 
We'll make sure it's on the show notes as well at monsterkidradio.net. And you've been posting every YouTube video there, as well as a few little things here and there. You posted a video about the uh, Shrunken Head Apple Sculpture Kit. What a crazy toy that was that they put out for kids. Encouraging them to play with sharp objects and make shrunken heads. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, kids, take a knife and carve an apple and then put it over a heat lamp and you know over a hot object and shrink it. So you can cut yourself and burn yourself. And, and you've hey, got the kit. You've got the kit, right? And yeah, have you made your shrunken head yet? Oh, no, nah, I haven't used it. But, I mean, I just wanted it. That, really, I wanted it for the, the box art more than anything else. You know? It's great. When I started my show back in 99, one year I did make some shrunken heads on there. But I just I used stuck them in the oven on real low heat and shrunk them. But, I, yeah, I carved apples and showed how to do that whole thing. But just stuck them in the oven. It's some great artwork. It really is. The, the box art is amazing. They they put out a few things. There was that, and there was the Hangman game. With I Price. loved that Hangman game so much when I had that as a kid. Like, a little bit later, they did the series of um, it's like a how to host your own mystery kind of thing. I had one they of those. I had really one of those. just yeah. used his name yeah. more than anything. It, it, you know, I've got one, but it's just really just his name and a little picture on the side of the box, but. Still kind of neat. Yeah, the the how to host the murder thing. I thought that was pretty cool. I ne- we never got a chance to really do it. I don't think anybody really did it. We yeah. just bought it. Yeah, I found Price one at a cool. store. Yeah. And speaking of Vincent Price's face being on all this material, the end of all of your videos, you typically put an old commercial with Price on it, which is just fascinating because some of them I remember, mm-hmm. but some of them are such small local things for like this art gallery that's closing. You know, yeah. and it has a clearance sale or something. And it's it's stuff that we look at now and appreciate, but I'm sure it was just a little throwaway thing that the people put together at one point. Can't imagine Vincent Price thought this stuff would be saved for posterity. No, <laughs> doing, you know, no. commercials for cousin subs. Yeah, that one was odd. He would do it for anything at that point, 80s. Well, he had uh, fun with it. Yeah. I remember I had the 3D still camera. Uh, I actually got in trouble because when I was a kid, I saw a commercial for this 3D camera that I wanted to buy. So I stole my mom's credit card number. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And I bought it. And the reason I got it, yeah, I thought it would be cool to make 3D pictures. But I was more intrigued because Vincent Price was the guy on the commercial (laughs) Uh, selling the thing. (laughs) And it came with a videotape of him telling you how to use it. Do you still have it? No, my mom got so mad I got had to send it back and get my money back. I got in so much trouble over that. (laughs) I've still got it. That's actually on YouTube. Someone's captured that video and put it on YouTube also if you want to see it again. I ran across a copy of that VHS at a, I don't know, some store that was selling used DVDs. And they had just a handful of VHS tapes and walked over and looked. And there it was. Oh, I'll buy that. Sure. Never know what you'll find. I got to watch it once. And yeah, I, I had to hide the camera from my mom because I didn't want to get in trouble for stealing the credit card number. But when <laughs> she got the statement, mm, oh yeah, what, what is, is this? this? Yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> oh man, she made me call the company and ask for my money back, and admit mm. that I stole my mom's credit card number. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> wow. Oh well. Things monster kids will do. I know, right? Depends the price. Got you in trouble. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I should have told that to Victoria when I met her last year. <laughs> you should. Your dad That's got great me in so much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story. Well, I'm looking forward to meeting her. Oh, she, have you best. ever met her? No. Oh, she's pretty cool. And I, really I don't like have her. a copy of her book yet, so I want, I've been waiting to buy a copy when I meet her. So I'll do I, that. 
and um, look forward to seeing her talk because she's given her speech about her her dad. But I listened to it on your episode, of course. But, yeah. Uh, look forward to seeing that and see if she's put anything new into it. Well, tell her that Monster Kid Radio said hi. Huh? I will. <laughs> I definitely will. And so you're going to be at that convention. Any other shows or appearances coming up that people can look for you? That's pretty much it right now that I know I'm going to. I would love to do Monster Bash. I'm kind of toying with the idea, but I don't think I'll make it. It's been a long time since I've been, probably early 2000s since I've been up that way. I, we, I went for two or three years in a row, and it was a lot of fun. Um, it's just such a long drive from Nashville up to Pittsburgh. I, mean, I could fly up, but I mean, if I, you know, if I'm going by myself, that's more that's possible. But I'll probably have at least one, maybe two of the kids with me. So I don't know. Well, if you do have anything coming up, you'll mention it on your website. I'm sure. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And again, that was drgangreen.com. And we'll have you back on the show too. You know, any other big projects coming up for you, or anything coming down the line? Anything new? We'll want to talk about here on the show with you. So always an open invitation to have you on Monster Kid Radio, my friend. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. We'll have to talk when I get up into the 60s into some of the better known things. You know, we don't always have to talk about Vincent Price. That's true. Although well, I've been I've been after you uh, for a long time to talk about my other obsession, which is Amicus Films. So, ah, uh, yes, man, I love me some anthology movies. Yeah, we, we definitely need to dive into some of that. I just picked up the book, The Amicus Anthology, uh, from the British Cult Cinema Series by Bruce G. Hallenbeck. He wrote a similar book on Hammer Film. I've been holding off because I want to dive into that book here shortly, but I don't have anything else on my plate reading-wise because I'm in the middle of three or four books right now. But it looks great. I don't know a heck of a lot about Amicus. I'm excited for you to school me. Oh, that's awesome. And it's so much of it's got your man, Peter Cushing, oh, in them. Yeah. So, so much fun to watch. I mean, He's I've so seen good. quite a few of them. I just I don't know much about the background and how Amicus came to be. So I'm looking forward you know, to learning about that. I don't either. I just am a fan, you know, yeah. and they're good. And I just love the the whole anthology, the setup. I mean, everything from uh, Dr. Terror's House of Horrors to Creep Show. I'm, you know, I'm a big fan. I love Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. Big, that's one of my favorites. That's a great one. Peter Cushing and those awesome eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's Dr. Shrek in that. Yep. He's great. No, yeah, no, he's really good. So that'll be fun. We'll, ha we'll have to do that too. Yeah. Well, we'll make sure that happens in 2015 at some point. Sounds like a plan, man. Awesome. Well, Larry, Doc, thanks for being on the show this week. Thanks for having me. And mm -hmm. congratulations again on your win. <laughs> thank you. I don't know what to say just other than thank you. And congratulations to you too, sir, for your Rondo Award-winning blog work. Thank you. Well-deserved. Yeah, Well-deserved. Yeah, that's, that's, that's always fun. It's something I've been, keep, I've been doing for, for a few years now, and it's, uh, it's, it gives me an excuse to just write about whatever I'm interested in. I don't limit it to any one thing. I'm kind of all over the place, whether it be local things happening in Nashville or new movies that have come out or classic movies or posting my own videos on there. It's just a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. it's, it's always fun, though, to, to do that. Well, it's always an entertaining reading. Every time there's a new post that goes up, I always make sure I read it, and I always enjoy it. So Appreciate it, man. Well, thank you, sir. And you have a good All rest right. of your, your day. Thanks for recording with me. You too, man. Thanks a lot. House of Horrors. Horrors the screen has never before dared to depict. 
terrifying horror of man killing behind with a human brain that creeps and kills. The terrifying horror of the dead, entombed for 200 years, that creeps its way back to terrorize the living. The terrifying horror of a dreaded man called Dr. Terror, who, with his deck of mystic cards, could foretell destiny. Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. You can find links to Dr. Gangrene's website at our website, monsterkidradio.net. Go check him out. Let him know that you heard about him here on Monster Kid Radio or look him up on Facebook or, again, look up the fantastic films of Vincent Price on YouTube. You will not be disappointed. He's doing an awesome job. And, yeah, he won the Rondo this year for Best Blog, so go check it out. Lots of great material online. He's putting all sorts of great content out there. So I appreciate him taking the time to swing by Monster Kid Radio to talk about The Mad Magician, which I really, really enjoyed. I want to learn more about the film. I'd like to watch it again, maybe even add it to my permanent movie collection here. I wish this was one that had maybe a more in-depth or robust release. Some special features would be nice. All I've been able to find about the movie is the trailer, and that's it. So I'd love to learn more about the production of the movie. It's The music itself, the soundtrack, it's fantastic. In fact... A few people posted on Facebook some comments about the movie itself. Peter Fuller, for example, over in the Fantastic Films of Vincent Price Facebook group posted that he really enjoyed this episode. And the name of the composer responsible for the cool theremin music in the film is none other than the legendary Samuel Hoffman, who is also responsible for It Came From Outer Space and The Day the Earth Stood Still, amongst many, many other classic scores. I, too, would like to see this soundtrack released. You know, I double-checked that name, and it turns out he also did Rocket Ship XM, which I kind of like, and a handful of other things as well that aren't necessarily genre-related, but still very cool that we can link this movie to The Day the Earth Stood Still. I think that gives that movie a little more uh, cred. We also had a comment in the Monster Kid Radio group from Michael Leggy. He commented that John Bram also directed The Undying Monster, an underrated werewolf film from 1942. And he also said that he directed a lot of thrillers as well. Thriller being the anthology series hosted by Boris Karloff, which is pretty awesome. And The Undying Monster, I think I've seen that. Pretty sure I have. I need to double check. And if I haven't, I need to watch it. Even if I have already seen it, I probably need to watch it. Ah, too many movies, not enough time. Thank you for all the comments on Facebook. Now, Facebook is where Monster Kid Radio does most of its social media stuff. You can find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Just go to facebook.com slash monsterkidradio. Like the page if you are a Facebook user. We have a group, though, and this is where the conversations happen between episodes with Monster Kid Radio listeners. Now, you might see me pop up elsewhere, like that Fantastic Films group, some classic monster groups, some classic sci-fi groups, things like that. But primarily, Monster Kid Radio-related stuff you're going to find in the Monster Kid Radio group. Now, you can find a link to the Facebook group at our website at monsterkidradio.net. You can also find everything else you need to know about the podcast at this website. You can find a link to our live 365 internet radio station where you can listen to music and sounds from classic monster movies for free, courtesy of Live 365. I'm trying to add new music to that Live 365 internet radio station every month, three or four new tracks at a time. And I announce in the Monster Rally Checkpoint newsletter what the new music is. So if you want to get the newsletter... You can do that on our website. Just put in your email address and hit subscribe. It's over there on the right. You can't miss it. And I'll get you added to this list where you'll get an email from me, keeping you up to date on everything going on with Monster Kid Radio and Monster Rally Media 
once a month, typically near the end of the month, unless you're a patron of Monster Kid Radio through Patreon and you're at the Toho level or higher. If you're at the Toho level or higher, you get the newsletter couple weeks early. Now, of course, Patreon is how you can support the show financially. And of course, big thanks to all of our patrons. Also, thank you to Tom and Mona Bigler. Tom's been on the show before. They just sent me a congratulations card about the Rondo. So thank you for that. You know, if anybody wants to get a hold of us, I mentioned Facebook, but of course you can always email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or you can call our voicemail line at 503-479-5657. That's 503 479 M-K-R. Next week on Monster Kid Radio, well, you're just going to have to come back to see what it is because right now I don't know what it's going to be. I have some things in the works. I have some recordings I could play. I might be able to get some recordings done this weekend, although on a personal level, to peel back the Monster Kid Radio curtain a little bit, we have a leak in our bedroom. So, uh, yeah, a lot of my downtime has been spent dealing with that instead of producing the show. Nevertheless, there will be something next week. I promise you just have to come back and find out what it is. Stay tuned via iTunes or Stitcher or however else you listen to podcasts or just find us at monsterkidradio.net. Thank you for listening. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song... The Angry Man. That belongs to the Dell Vipers. You can find them at thedellvipers.bandcamp.com where you can buy the album Terror of the Dell Vipers. Check them out. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. And I'm out. (laughs) 